Welcome to the We've Seen a Thing or Two podcast. As investigators and mediators focused on regulatory and workplace conflicts, we have seen a thing or two and learned a thing or two. In each episode, we will be speaking with industry leaders in regulation, human resources and law, as well as thought leaders and top performers in investigations and mediation. We bring our audience interesting and cutting edge information on conflict management as it relates to professional regulation and workplace disputes. This industry is one of many views and we have to say that some views shared by our guests are not necessarily shared by the We've Seen a Thing or Two podcast, its hosts or sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Bernard and Associates, trusted investigation and mediation professionals since 2004. Now here's your host, Dean Bernard. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the We've Seen a Thing or Two podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Today, you will be glad you did because we have a great guest who is going to help us understand some of the key challenges and solutions around having difficult conversations. Now, we all have had to have them at one time or another, and unless I'm totally out to lunch, I'm going to bet that most people just avoid them. Now, before we get into things, I want to properly introduce you to Julie DuPont of Reimagine Leadership. Now, Julie has over 17 years of experience in the leadership and learning field. She's worked with leaders in North America, South America, Europe, the UK, and Asia. She has experience with small businesses, all the way to large multinational organizations across many different industries. She is all about helping bosses become great leaders. Now, Julie's an associate accredited coach with the International Coach Federation. She was a winner of Best of the Best Training Excellence Award through the Institute for Performance and Learning for her training design skills, where she delivered a program that achieved 1,300% return on investment. Not many companies can say they've done that. Julie has taught over 1,500 leaders and is here today to talk about how we can increase our effectiveness as leaders when we have to have difficult conversations. So with that, welcome to the show, Julie. Thanks, Dean. It's great to be here. So Julie, we hear a lot about difficult conversations and how this is a a key to being a successful leader, but also a key to managing conflict or even avoiding conflict in some cases. But we also know that it's a difficult thing to do and, and something that many people don't have confidence doing. What are the main obstacles that hold people back with this? Yeah, you're right, Dean. Having difficult conversations is, by definition, not an easy or comfortable thing to have to do. And we've both said have to do because we know that when an issue needs to be addressed, avoiding it doesn't make it go away. And so while learning to have these conversations effectively won't make them easier, what it can do is make them better, which means your chances of achieving a mutually satisfactory outcome are higher when you use skills that actually help move the conversation forward rather than have it stall out by unintentionally saying the wrong thing. Right. I understand how it can be really tough for someone to jump into these conversations and just hope for the best. I have a feeling you're going to give us some tips and tricks for setting up the conversation for success. So let's start from the top. When we're feeling really uncomfortable about having to discuss a potentially volatile issue, what should we keep in mind? The first thing you want to be aware of is your own mindset. So believe it or not, how you think about the issue, the person, and the conversation is going to heavily impact the outcome of 
your conversation. So if you tell yourself going into one of these discussions that you're wasting your time, that the person isn't going to listen to you, that it's not going to do any good, that that's exactly what you're going to get. When you approach these conversations with a negative belief, it does affect how well you listen and how much effort you put into resolution. Right. So that's why it's important to get your mindset right. What I'm suggesting is a positive yet realistic mindset. So positive yet realistic mindset will likely get you much further in the discussion because it's about making a decision about how you want to be in the conversation, regardless of what the other person says or does. It's like intention or goal setting. So a person with a positive yet realistic mindset tells themselves that they are willing to listen and learn that they don't know the other person's perspective or story and that they want to find a mutually acceptable solution. So I just want to be clear about something, and that's that having a positive yet realistic mindset is not about wishful thinking. So it's not about telling yourself that everything will be fine. But it really is about being intentional about how you want to conduct yourself during the conversation as opposed to just seeing what comes up. Another way you can look at it is by going into the discussion with a we mindset, W-E, we mindset. And this is where you see the other person as a partner rather than an opponent, which means you make the discussion a lot less personal and more about solving a problem with the person together. So when you approach the conversation from the perspective of we have a problem to solve, you make it more likely to get their cooperation rather than their resistance. And isn't it the fear of resistance to our ideas that make it so difficult for us to have good conversations? So approaching the conversation with the right mindset can make a huge difference in how the conversation will go. Yes. You know, that makes a lot of sense. We often say to people in conflict, you know, get away from the naming and blaming and approach issues from the perspective of seeing mutual benefit. And this way you get buy-in to solving the problem. So what you're saying makes a, makes a ton of sense. But Julie, what's the most common issue people have with these types of conversations? Yeah, this won't surprise you, Dean, but it's listening with empathy, right? We know the science around emotional intelligence tells us that when our bodies experience a great deal of negative emotion, like the anxiety that comes from having a difficult discussion, those emotions can take over the thinking sections of our brain like a hijacking. And when our brains are hijacked, it's a lot harder for us to do our best thinking. And unfortunately, this is what causes us then to react to what we hear rather than respond to it. So we know that reactions are quick and they're from the gut and and not always well thought out. And they can sometimes lead us to say or do something ineffective in the situation. Versus when we can stay in control of our emotions and not allow our brains to get hijacked, then we are better positioned to respond, which is a brain source reply that may lead to a better outcome. So I'm sorry if I've gone all neuroscience on our listeners, Dean, but the point is that when our brains are hijacked, so is our positive yet realistic mindset, which makes it harder for us to stick to that commitment we made to find a mutually agreeable solution. And we know the best way to find a mutually agreeable solution is by listening with empathy. So listening with empathy is about really trying to understand the other person's perspective without evaluating it or judging it or comparing it to our own experience. It's really about hearing the message behind the words so we can truly understand what the other person needs. Once we can listen with empathy, then we're better positioned to move the conversation toward resolution. 
Again, this is really hard to do when emotions are running high. So it really does take a lot of effort and focus to do this well. Right. So it's not about killing the messenger. It's about recognizing that listening isn't just waiting for your turn to speak, which is a phrase I use all the time. Let me ask you this. I'm, I'm curious. Are there trigger words that, that people should avoid? Well, I'm going to answer your question with another question. Let me ask you, what do people want to have happen in most of these conversations? Well, I, I guess really to be open with each other and, and to be heard. You want, you want people to hear what you have to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in order for someone to be willing to open up, we need to be careful about what we do when they are open with us. And so you have to remember that in these conversations, many times we're asking people to be vulnerable with us. And if we're not vulnerable first, we're not going to get that. So of course, the next question, how do we create that openness, right? Well, first, it's by being open first, right? Show your cards first. And then second, don't say things that might cause defensiveness, right? We need to make it easy for people to listen to us by not saying things that cause them to feel as though they are under attack. And believe it or not, one trigger word for people in difficult conversations is actually the word you. Really? The word you. So so we can't say you in a difficult conversation, but what if the issue is about them? Yeah, allow me to explain, kind sir. <laughs> In these conversations, people are already on edge and many times emotionally hijacked, which makes them super sensitive to everything being said. The last thing you want to do is to add fuel to the fire by accidentally saying something that may sound like an accusation. And when you begin your sentences with the word you, that's the real risk. You want to try an example? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. All right. So if I were to start a conversation with you did something that bothers me and you'd better fix it, what would come up for you, Dean? Well, I guess I would immediately feel attacked, feel like you're accusing me of something. So of course, I'm, I'm probably going to get defensive and maybe not be as cooperative as uh, you might expect me or hope me to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And those feelings are not going to help me in getting you to open up to me or even listen to me because you're now focused on protecting yourself rather than having a productive conversation. So let's say instead I say, Dean, feeling bad about what happened earlier and I'd like to talk to you about it. Do you have a few minutes? What would come up for you then? Well, yeah, then I'd be curious about what you want to talk about and likely be more cooperative and, and open to having that discussion. Exactly, exactly. And to keep us on track with that curiosity and cooperation, I would then proceed to talk about the impact on me of whatever you said or did. And so that's where I would talk about I language, right? Using I language becomes very important in difficult discussions because it keeps the focus on what I need from you rather than on what you did wrong. So it's quite okay to talk about how you feel and what you perceived or maybe misperceived, what you understood or misunderstood. What it's really about is taking your share of the ownership of the problem and engaging them in owning their share of the solution. So in difficult discussions, try to stay away from beginning too many of your sentences with you and focus instead on what I'm wanting and needing from the person, and then use the we mindset to tackle the problem together. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here because I'm just kind of curious. I mean, having dealt with a lot of leaders and a lot of managers over the years, I'm thinking that this perhaps should be a key performance indicator for leaders. What do you think about that? Oh, I agree with you 100%. Too many times we promote people who are really good at their jobs technically, 
And we fail to consider how successful they'll be in a completely different role that requires a completely different mindset and skill set. So if you're considering promoting someone, I strongly recommend that you start upskilling them for people leadership before the promotion to give them a healthy head start at being successful in a supervisory position. Then once they get the new role, they are better positioned to lead the way we want them to, which includes being able to motivate their people, engage their people, bring out the best in their people, and of course, have difficult conversations that grow their people instead of create resentment or discord. And then for really savvy organizations who want to create a growth and learning culture, think about how you might measure the behaviors you want to see so that leaders are being rewarded not just for what they do, but also how they do it, right? Getting results are great, but they should be achieved with their people and not at the expense of their people. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, what would you say are the three most effective changes that a person can make that's going to lead to these successful conversations and having these tough conversations? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. It's a great summary question. So I'd have to say that the the three things that will have the biggest impact on the success of your conversations are, number one, adjust your mindset to maximize the chances of being a problem-solving partner rather than an opponent. Number two, manage your emotions so that you can engage your brain and respond in a productive way as opposed to allowing your brain to be hijacked. And finally, listen with empathy and really try to understand the other person's perspective so you can better develop a solution that will be mutually beneficial. And if I may add one more thing, ask a lot of open-ended questions. If you can approach these conversations from a place of curiosity, it will be much easier for you to manage yourself, to listen well, and to keep the discussion impersonal. When you're listening, you're not speaking. So there are fewer opportunities for you to put your foot in your mouth. So using open-ended questions as a powerful conversation tool will allow you to model the openness and then create openness in the other person. Right. Well, I can say this, Julie, this certainly has not been a difficult conversation that we've had. In fact, it's been an absolute pleasure. And it's always great for our listeners to learn a little bit about our guests. So maybe as we've sort of talked about these difficult conversations, maybe we can shift gears a little bit and you can tell us a little bit about you do when you're not busy helping clients or managing your own business. Sure thing. I am an avid glamper, (laughs) sort of. I love camping. And while I don't tent it anymore because we have now a lovely camper, I am very, very happy to spend a weekend in nature without hydro. In fact, some people find it funny to see our camper in the non-electric sites, but To me, having to use solar power and propane and candles, it's the way to go. The only thing is I'm not sleeping on the cold, hard ground. But we do have a favorite camping spot, and it's a small private campground on Lake Huron. And just, you know, like I said, spending time in nature, going caving and hiking and just reading on the beach are some of my favorite pastimes in the summer. I actually have a strong value in nature. And so anytime I need to pick me up heading to the woods or to a shoreline usually gives me the peace of mind, heart and soul that I need to carry on. 
Well, I agree with you. There's nothing like the joy of nature. And I agree there's times that being in nature, you know, makes things better and makes us makes it clearer for us. Uh, it gives us a chance to really hit that reset button, I think. So it's just fantastic. Well, that's really interesting, Julie. And I really want to thank you for agreeing to be a guest on the show. You know, I know how busy you are. And I know that the, the time you spent here is valuable time, not only to us, but to you. So thank you for that. You shared some great insights and knowledge that uh, I think we can all take away. And I'm sure some listeners are going to want to connect with you. So can you let them know how best to reach you? Yeah, I I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you, Dean. And I hope this was helpful to uh, leaders, employees, and uh, even uh, parents, you know, any parents of teenagers listening in. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But I'd love to answer any follow-up questions about our talk today. And I can be reached at julie at reimagineleadership.ca. Or, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn, Julie Dupont team coach. My name's a common one, so you may have to add team coach to your search. But I'd also invite our listeners to check out my website, www.reimagineleadership.ca. And as my business grows, I will be adding some resources to my website that visitors may find helpful as well. Well, that's great. I know that I'll be checking them out. And again, Julie, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time. Well, everybody, that is a wrap for this episode. Thanks again for listening. And remember, we want to hear from you so we can continue to meet our goal of constant and never-ending improvement. Your feedback helps us with that so we can bring you interesting and helpful content with each new episode that we produce. Now, all our podcasts get linked to our website at bernardinc.com, and you can always reach me at dbernard at bernardinc.com or deanbernard on LinkedIn. With that, we'll see you next time on the We've Seen a Thing or Two podcast. Bye-bye, everybody.